Creekside Church. Nailed the title on the first try. All right. Uh, but welcome to everyone and uh, especially welcome to visitors. If you're here with us as a visitor in your bulletin that you received, there's a little tear off tab and we'd appreciate it if you'd fill in some information for us and put it in the offering as it comes around later. Uh, speaking of offerings, just as a reminder, um, today is the first Sunday of the month and so we're collecting for the building uh, campaign as well for the pledges. Um, there's a membership class next week, so if you've been with us here for a while but not officially recognized as a member, we just ask that you do two things. We ask that you come to a membership class, so we're having one after the services next week, and then meet with a couple elders to just discuss your testimony, ask us any questions you have, and then we'd like to recognize you as members here. Um, we've talked about our new Creekside men's study called Authentic Manhood, Winning at Work and Home by Robert Lewis, and that starts this week. Uh, on Wednesday night and Saturday morning. So either of those times, it's the same thing, but just two times, so you have opportunity to come to either. Um, Chris and Mary Sander, we've had these missionaries visit us before. They're ministered to the Alabaskan Indians on the islands in Alaska. They've ministered to Muslims in Africa. Um, they are here this Wednesday evening. Chris will be speaking uh, to the, in the prayer meeting, and Mary will be sharing with the Awana children. So that'll be a treat for the kids, too, to have both of them sharing with us. They're both great uh, men and women of God. Next Sunday, uh, we had three men who went to Haiti last fall, and we get a chance to hear from them. Tom Keller, Tom Noonan, and Bob Vaughn will share from their 2013 trip down to Haiti. So that's exciting. And as Creekside Church, we're, we're committed to continuing this ministry in support of the ministry in Haiti. Uh, we feel very strongly and led to do that, and so we're, we're pleased to get to hear more about this. And it's an, awesome, an opportunity to maybe think about whether you want to go this year. There's going to be a trip later this year, and um, so something to be praying and thinking about. Um, also, uh, we had on December 29th a special missionary guest here, uh, Lucas Richard, who is the husband-to-be of my sister Lois Klein, and they set their wedding date for May 17th coming up here when Lois will officially go out and join him on the missions field in Ireland and in Africa and wherever the Lord leads, really. Um, so this morning we want to bring her up and pray with her because she's actually going this week to Ireland for a month and then coming back to plan for the wedding in May. Um, but before I bring her up here, I just kind of want to share that we haven't really sent out a missionary in a long time. It's been since the mid-1980s since we sent out Carl Dorner to Taiwan. Um, so this is kind of a new thing to the current leadership team, but we have a history, uh, practice in our, in our tradition of commending work, uh, missionaries to the work. Uh, so there's no higher missionary organization or board we, that we partner with. Um, missionaries that come out from our church go out in faith. They solely depend on the Lord for their, uh, for their needs. And we want to be their sending church, though. And so like you see in Acts 13, in the missionary journeys of Paul and Barnabas, how the church came together and fasted and prayed, and they sensed the Lord's calling, and the Lord spoke to them, saying, separate from me, Paul and Barnabas, to the work which I've called them. And they went up into the region of Galatia and, and, and evangelized and discipled and planted churches. 
and they came back after a couple years and reported to their sending church. And so when we commence uh, missionaries to the work of the Lord, it's, um, we're pledging to support them in prayer financially as we're able. We're holding them accountable um, as their home church. They're not just totally independent. Um, fortunately, they're going over into an organization called Ireland Outreach, where my uncle served for 40 years. And so there's some accountability with the workers there. But um, we're their home church. And we feel strongly not only about sending Lois, but also adding our commendation to Lucas. He, he comes from a small church down in Louisiana of about 20 people, mostly older, about 60 and older. So we're going to be a stronger home church and base for them over the years to come. And I'm just so excited about this because some of us here have prayed for years that the Lord would raise up missionaries to go out and serve him on the missions field. And after 10 years of praying this, since we started our missions team, we are just overjoyed to finally say, Lord, we're sending, we're commending Lois, we're commending Lucas to your work around the world. Um, so I just want to bring Lo Lois up here and, and maybe Alan, and, uh, maybe any other elders want to join with me and just, and just pray over her before she goes here. Hey, while Lois is coming up, also we want to just... Um, mention uh, to be in prayer for Dwayne McFadden. Um, he had some kind of a, a fainting spell or something out here. So if you notice some of the commotion out here up front, um, that's just uh, keep in mind to pray for Dwayne and that everything would be okay with that. So Lord, we want to commend Lois to you. Lord, as we're thinking about and reading through Ephesians, uh, we, we are just humbled by what a great thing it is that you choose to use a normal, everyday, ordinary people. And not only that, uh, that you have planned good works for us to do uh, in advance. And, and it's an exciting thing when we discover what those good works are. And Lois is, is opening a new uh, chapter in her life, about to uh, enter a new phase of ministry. And we are just excited for her and for Lucas. And we pray that you would do great and mighty things through her. And uh, we also pray that you would help us to be a, a supportive family for her, kind of a refuge uh, and a home base to help uh, just to, to lift her and Lucas up in prayer and to, to pray uh, that you would continue to do great things. And so we just want to be in prayer. We want to lift her up. And uh, we're excited for, for what's about to happen. We also want to pray for Dwayne and... Uh, we don't know what's happened exactly, but we pray for wisdom for the doctors and that he would have uh, a quick, uh, quick resolution and that uh, nothing, there would be nothing serious going on. And so we thank you for a chance to be here together as family today. We commit our time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, I just want to let you all know that the day that I was born, Matt Thomas turned 10. Happy birthday, Matt. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> also, another thing that we're very excited about in our, we're in the middle of our identity series. And next week, in conjunction with the message, Megan Riddle is going to share her uh, testimony. And we are very excited about that.
As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed to us in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You were once dead, but you have been made alive in Christ. Amen? What an incredible thing for all of us who know Christ to understand. Because of his great love for us, he made us alive. Do you believe it? Absolutely. That's one of the most familiar passages in Ephesians and probably in the scriptures. And... Uh, Sometimes uh, familiarity can breed complacency, as anyone who is married probably understands that uh, just about as well as anybody. Uh, you know, you, you love each other, you experience life together, you choose to live a life that is committed lovingly to one another, but in your marriage relationship, in your family, it's easy to be complacent. And so it is with us in our understanding of the Word of God and understanding of this great gift that's been given to us through Christ. This familiarity sometimes can lead us to be complacent. One of the most powerful truths that you can ever hear. Do you believe it? What's more, do you live like it? Do you live like you believe that? Does that fundamental truth, does it change who you are as an individual fundamentally? Does it change the way that you interact with your spouse? Does it change the way you interact with your kids? Does it change the way that you interact with your neighbors and your coworkers and people that you've never met before? Does it change you? Does it change the way that you understand yourself? It should. But I know for myself, so often it kind of gets moved to the wayside. It uh, is, is still a truth about me, but maybe it's a, a truth that uh, doesn't feel as real as uh, the needs that I have for the week, the, the needs of job, the needs of family, 
uh, the other realities of, of our existence. But we were all once dead, and we have been made alive in Christ. Amen. We're uh, five weeks into a study on the book of Ephesians. We're, we're turning the corner into chapter 2, so uh, congratulations, uh, you've made it thus far. Uh, it's been a, a really fun study. I, I don't know about you guys, but uh, I know uh, for myself and uh, those of us that have had the privilege of being able to preach this, uh, it's been a challenging and uh, rewarding process. Um, we have uh, been, been studying uh, in the first chapter, Paul is, is trying to, to remind the people of Ephesus just how incredible the gift of God in Christ is for each and every one of them and the richness that is available through that gift to them and to us. He has been reminding them and reminding them and imploring them and pleading with God on their behalf that they could truly understand what it means to be in Christ, who we are in Christ. So he, he, he goes on and on and on talking about the, the, the blessings that are available to us, the power that is available to us, the hope that is ours in Christ Jesus. In verse, verse chapter 1, verse 3, uh, he, he talks about how he has blessed us in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing in Christ how he has chosen us, how he predestined us to, uh, be, to be adopted into his family. That he has made known to us the, the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. Furthermore, last week we talked about how, how the very work that raised Christ, the very power that raised Christ from the dead is at work within each and every one of us. The, the resurrection power of Jesus at work in you and in me. Incredible. Isn't that incredible? When you wake up in the morning and you brush your teeth and you look at yourself in the morning, do you say, I have the power that raised Christ from the dead living and working inside of me? I sure don't. I'm usually trying to figure out what's, what's wrong with my hair or, you know, what I'm going to wear. The power that raised Christ from the dead. And you and me. We were once dead in our transgressions and sin, but we have been made alive. The resurrection power of Christ. Paul's, uh, this is a, a transitional passage in, in, in the book, uh, uh, Paul's been emphasizing this identity, identity in Christ as the foundation for the church. And uh, as he's, he's moving on in the next passage to, to uh, address uh, how he wants to see the church act and understand themselves collectively as a whole. And uh, later on he'll talk about uh, how we should live uh, moral lives in res uh, response to this. But if you don't understand this foundation, none of this... It's going to matter. See, it doesn't matter how good of a person you are outside of Christ. It doesn't matter how good of a church we are, how, how great of a community we are 
together, how well we love our, each other, how well we take care of each other, how good the music sounds, how good the preaching is, if we don't understand our identity in Christ, if we don't understand that the power that raised him from the dead is at work within us, and if that doesn't change us, we're never going to be all that we can be as a church. In fact, I go so far as to say that we won't even really be what a church is supposed to be. We'll just be a Sunday morning breakfast and coffee club or something like that. But if we, if we can understand and truly believe the power of the resurrection is at, at work within you and me, we can be an unstoppable force. I, I truly believe there's, what, maybe 150, 200 people in the room. If we believed this and we lived it out, I truly believe we could change the world. Amen? Amen. So Paul is, has, has used the, uh, the most powerful language, the most powerful imagery uh, that he can, uh, he can use to describe the power that has worked within us. When he says, you were once dead, you have been raised to life. There's nothing more powerful than the, the process of, of a dead thing, a corpse being raised to life. It, it just doesn't happen. It takes a miracle. Things that are alive eventually die. But things that are dead don't come back to life. Most, uh, most commentators that I, I've read have, have uh, kind of classified this as a metaphor, trying to describe what, uh, what happens when we uh, come to know Christ and, and what happens within us. And uh, I, think, I think calling it a metaphor is, is, is selling it short just a little bit because, you see, we're not physical beings. We're spiritual beings first. You don't have a soul. You are a soul, and you have a body. You see, so when we're born physically into this earth, we're still born spiritually, dead in our transgressions and sin. What is sin? Very simply, you can understand sin as separation. When Adam and Eve first first sinned and, and ate of the, the tree that they were told not to partake of, what happened? They were separated. They were separated physically from God, not only because they were sinful people and now uh, you know, living amongst a holy and righteous God, but because they were aware of their own sinfulness. What was the first feeling that they felt? Shame. I'm naked. I'm ashamed. I'm going to run. I'm going to hide. See, sin causes separation. Separation first and foremost from God, but also separation from yourself. What is shame? Shame is a, shame is a social feeling. It's, it's a feeling of, all of a sudden, I don't measure up. I'm not good enough. I'm ashamed of myself. We're separated from, from, from ourselves in a very fundamental way. None of us is the type of person that we really want to be. I know I'm not the man, I'm not the husband, I'm not the father that I would like to be. Separated, even at the core of our own existence. And of course, separated interpersonally. 
What does Adam say? Well, that woman that you gave me, she, she gave me the fruit. Not too long ago, he was saying, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. The two will become one. Now it's that woman. Separation. We find ourselves separated. The actual word for sin in the Greek is actually, it's, it's a sports metaphor. You've probably heard of this before, but uh, the word is hamartia, and uh, it was used in archery to say that you missed the mark. You didn't come to the point where you, you were aiming. You came short. You see, we come short with one another every day. We come short with God. We come, sh- come short within ourselves. See, it's not, just, it's not just an action. Sin is more than just a, 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 an action. It's a condition. You see, we are the sorts of people who come short. It causes separation. And that's the condition that we are born into. Our natural inclination is to be short, to be separated from God, from ourselves, from each other. And uh, if you've lived any time at all on this planet Earth, you hopefully can um, relate to that condition. If you can't, uh, you should probably be the one up here uh, preaching this because I know I, I'm all t- too familiar with that and it doesn't matter how, uh, how long we've been Christians or how, how uh, sanctified we become in our lives, we all sin and we all fall short. We have all experienced this death. See, and Paul goes on to, uh, to kind of give three different ways in which we have experienced this, this death in our sins. All of us lived among them at one time. Oh, here. Um, You were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live, followed the ways of the world. The ways of separation. See, we live in a world of sin. See, even even despite our, our best efforts, the world is full of sinful systems. You know, we're gonna we're gonna go home and watch a football game tonight. We're going to eat uh, the estimated one and a quarter billion chicken wings tonight. Yay, America. But for those of you that have traveled, those of you who have been to Haiti, those of you who have been to Africa, those of you who have been to part, two-thirds of the world, they say, you just eat the wing? You just eat the wing? I'm not a, a, a poultry expert here, but you know how small a wing is compared to the rest of the bird? You just eat the wing? We live in a place of plenty, a place of excess, of abundance, but people around the world are starving. It's unfair. That's, that's, that's the power of the world. It just There are oppressive economic systems, there are pr- oppressive political systems, there are all sorts of oppressive things happening, and we're just subject to it. The clothes that, that most of us are wearing were probably made by, by children who, uh, well, or, or individuals that uh, get paid you know, barely a living wage just to survive, but we can go and buy them at the outlet stores. It's an oppressive system. You know, 
as kids, you, you talk about to your children, or when you're a kid, you talk about peer pressure, the pressure to fit in, the kind of the sinful systems of the world. We're overwhelmed by those systems. We live amongst a power of the world that is sinful and short and misses the mark. Furthermore, he says that we lived in the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. In addition to, to the systems that are just systematically oppressive, the systems that are unfair, that treat the people who have the most in a way that, uh, that exploits the people that have the least, there's also a spiritual power going on. There's a spiritual battle. We are all born into the kingdom of the air, the kingdom of Satan, the enemy, a spiritual enemy, which is real. People in Ephesus, remember going back to the, uh, the introduction, they, they were very much aware of the, the spiritual battle that was going on and these, uh, these, these uh, cultic forces and people going out and, and trying to drive out demons in, in the name of Paul and in the name of Paul, who Jesus speaks, and they understand. They, they were living in a time and a place where, where the power of the enemy was very real, where it was very prevalent. We don't, we don't really notice it much. We don't really experience it much here in, in, uh, in, in the time, place in history that we live, in, in the country that we live. But uh, throughout the world, people are very aware of, of the spiritual forces that are going on, uh, powers that are, that are dominated by the enemy. When Satan tempted Jesus and offered him to give him all the kingdoms of the world, that's because they were his to give. That's because they were his to give. Fortunately, it doesn't have to be that way. But that's the world that we live in now. There's hope for the future, but that's the world we live in now. And finally, we all gratifying the sins and the cravings of our flesh, our own desires being led astray, our own willingness to participate in the ways of the world, our own inability to act the way that we know we need to live, the cravings of our flesh. Some people call it the unholy trinity, the world, the flesh, and the devil, the powers that keep us oppressed in our sin, the powers that keep us at bay, the powers that prevent us from knowing God and understanding the truth about who we are and changing the world so that it looks more like the kingdom of God and less like the kingdom of the enemy. We were all dead. But fortunately, it says right here, verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead. Hallelujah. That's the condition we were born into, but it's not the condition that we have to live into, and it's not the condition that we're going to die into because we have hope in Christ. Hallelujah. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? 
I hope so. Furthermore, can we believe it in such a way that we start to transform, we start to overcome those barriers of sin, the forces of evil at work within the world, the, the, the shortcomings in our own lives, and the power of the enemy in our lives and the lives of people who don't know Christ? I hope so. But because of his great love for us, that's, it's, it's kind of a, I feel like it's such a brief statement. I mean, it's just, well, because of his great love for us. It's a, God's incredible love for us. Even the translation doesn't really do it justice. In, in the Greek, it, it, it reads more like, because of the great love with which he has loved us with greatly. I mean, there's, there, there's about, about five or six words that are, that are omitted, and uh, the repetition of the word love is really trying to emphasize God's incredible love for us and his rich mercy. Mercy is a word that, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of familiar with. Um, but the expression that, that, uh, that Paul is using here, he, he's, he's really alluding to a Hebrew concept that makes a lot more, more sense. It, it, it's the, uh, the word hesed. Hesed is, is, is the, the word that, uh, that the Hebrew people use for God's love, his special covenantal love with Abraham and the people of Israel. It's, it's the word that we first see in, in, uh, in the Old Testament when God approaches Moses and, and Moses asks, who shall I say sent me? And he says, I am who I am. I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And I will choose to love you and be gracious and compassionate to you no matter what happens, I will love you faithfully. Some people uh, consider faithfulness as a, as a better way to, to, to describe hesed than, uh, than we have here in mercy. Uh, some people say loving kindness. Some people say long-suffering. I think that the uh, Jesus Storybook Bible probably puts us, put it best when, when it says that, that God loves us with a never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always-and-forever love. Sometimes the kids' ways are the best. A never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. God's chesed. It's beautiful. Because of the great love that he loved us with greatly and his chesed, he made us alive in Christ. Incredible. course, that love was proven once and for all in the most powerful way that you could imagine as Christ went to the cross, taking the punishment for our sin, the death that we deserved, and was crucified, killed on the cross, but his power was proven on the third day when he rose from the dead. He overcame the power of death, the power of death that was at work within each and every one of us, the power of death that, that was first introduced by Adam and Eve when they ate from that sin, the power of death that is the, the net result of our sin. 
of the sins of our uh, personal sins, the sins of our personal society, and the sin that is, that is uh, caused and flourishes under the, the dom- dominion of the enemy. Christ overcame. You see, the power that raised Christ from the dead is at work within each and every one of us. Amen? Amen. Do you believe it? Yeah. That's right, Doug. I love it. I love it. So here we are, raised with Christ. It is by grace that you have been saved. We use that word a lot here in the the evangelical church here in America about getting saved, being saved. Are you still saved? You know, when did you get saved? What does it mean? It means that the power of sin is broken in our lives Conscious of, of sin no longer apply to us. us. The wrath of God that is so rightly deserved is averted away from us. We are saved because God raised us up with Christ. We have the power of the resurrection working within us. Amen? But that's not all. That's not all. And, and this is, is, is actually kind of mind-blowing. Not only did he raise us with Christ, it says that he seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Christ, when he rose from the dead and when he ascended into heaven, it said that he ascended at the right hand of God, enthroned with God in heaven, next to God, ruling over the powers of the spiritual forces of the world, ruling over the universe. Christ is going to come again as a judge, as a ruler, as a king. He is enthroned in heaven above. But wait a minute. It says right here that when he raised us up with Christ, when he raised us from the dead, he seated us next to Christ in the heavenly realms. We, as Christians and followers of Christ, we have been enthroned in the heavenly realms and given dominion, given authority, given a power over the spiritual forces of oppression, the powers of sin that dominate the earth, the power, power of sin that's even at work within us, in Christ and through Christ, we have power and authority and dominion over those things. Amen? Isn't that incredible? I don't feel that way most of the time, but when I, when I, when I hear it, and I hear myself saying it now, it's, it's awesome, isn't it? It's awesome. It's a fundamental truth, familiar, but really, really hard to attain. It's hard to keep that, that understanding, that, that mindset going, that knowing that truth and living it out is, is a daily, almost hourly, moment-by-moment process, understanding the truth of who we are in Christ. That's why Paul took a whole chapter in the book of Ephesians to try and remind and cajole and impress upon the church of Ephesus just how incredible the gift of God is and what it means to their lives and what it means to their church. That's why when we, when we go through this book of Ephesians, the whole book we, we've entitled the, the series Identity in Christ. Understand your identity in Christ. If you don't know that truth, you'll never understand exactly how powerful you can be 
in Christ and just what you can do against the forces of evil that wage war in your life and around you and in your family and in your society and in the world. We have been seated next to Christ in the throne room of God in the heavenly realms. We have authority over the forces of evil. We have authority to, to change the corrupt patterns of the world. We have the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit working within us to overcome the forces of sin, the forces that, that, that uh, keep us from li living out the ways that we want to live in our lives. We have the power. Amen? I hope that we can believe this. I hope that as a church that this, this truth is, is, it will sink in in a way that, uh, that really takes hold in our lives, that, that, uh, that changes the way that we, we think about ourselves, that changes the way that we, we pray together as a community. Uh, Kyle gave a, a really challenging sermon, sermon uh, last week about how we should, we should uh, be out in prayer for the lost and, and, uh, and really challenge me and, and Callie to, to pray uh, more for the people in our lives that, uh, that don't know Christ. And if we believe this, the way that we pray, the way that we go do missions, the way that we send people like Lois out into the world, it's going to change it because it's so true, it's so powerful, it's so amazing, it's, it's almost unbelievable, but that's the truth of Scripture. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. Nobody gets to boast about this. It doesn't matter if you've been walking with Christ for a long time and you've known this for a long time. It doesn't matter if this is the first time you've ever heard this and you want to say, you know what, I, I want to trust in that power and you come to know this today for the very first time. It doesn't matter. It's a gift. It's a gift of God. When we are given the righteousness of Christ, there is no longer any room for self-righteousness. Amen? We all have received the gift in just the same way. It's a gift of God. None of us gets to boast about it. None of us gets to brag about it. None of us gets to compare ourselves to one another. We just get to be uh, just satisfied and overwhelmed by the loving gift of God. I'm going to go ahead and ask Nick and the band to come up. Uh, we're going to we're going to spend some time just uh, kind of trying to meditate on this. This is one of those truths that is, is familiar, and, uh, but it's, it's hard to grasp. And so we're going to spend some time in, in, in quiet uh, uh, reflection before we go into the, uh, uh, the process of communion. Uh, we're also going to have uh, some, some elders uh, available to pray. Uh, as, you, as you contemplate this, if, if you feel like this is a message that you've heard for the first time and you don't understand what it means to be able to say that the power that raised Christ from the dead is available to me, we want you to come and pray with somebody. Or if you've been walking with Christ for a long time and this is a familiar concept but it doesn't feel familiar, it doesn't feel like it's taken root in your life or, or maybe it had at one time and, and you, you've grown distracted and... and uh, you're just kind of overwhelmed by the, the, the cares of the world, come and pray. Come and claim that identity. Come and, and, and ask God to help, help reconfigure your thinking, help, help renew your mind so that you can really grasp what it is 
that this means. This is why Paul was praying and pleading before God and saying, Church of Ephesus, I am pleading with God. I am praying that your eyes and your heart will be open to understand what is at work inside you. This is something that we need to fight for. It's a truth. So uh, as you go there, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this, this last, last bit here. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. Do you believe it? Through faith. See, it's, it's a very simple process. We grasp this not through our own works or own merits, but just through faith, just because we believe it. We accept it as true. Not just for, for the way that we understand it cognitively, but the way that it is. It sinks into our hearts. It is by grace that you've been saved through faith. Do you have faith this morning? Do you have faith that God not only has, has, has averted his wrath against you, his, his anger towards sin, and he has saved you from the punishment that you deserve? That's, that's good news. But it's much more than that. Not only has he, has he forgiven your sins, he has restored you to a place of honor and he has seated you in the heavenly realms. Do you believe that in faith? I hope so. I know I'm going to take the time here as we uh, move into communion just to try and recenter myself to understand what this truth means, how powerful it can be in our lives what we can do about the, the, the injustices in the world as a church and trying to appreciate the, the power of God at work within me, within us. And we're going to continue as a church to dream about what it would be to be a church that understands this so fundamentally and so foundationally that we go out into the world and we actually start to change it because we have the resurrection power of Christ at work within each and every one of us. Amen? Amen. So uh, we're going to have some time um, of, of just uh, reflection. There's going to be some slides. Uh, Nick, uh, Nick put a collage together of, of, of all the identity statements in Ephesians uh, that, uh, that was given out in a handout a few weeks ago. And along with um, your responses that were sent in periodically throughout the week about uh, completing the statement, In Christ I Am. And so that's going to that's gonna show up here on the PowerPoint. And um, just ask you to uh, just reflect quietly on that. Uh, try, and, try and ask God to, um, to, to help you understand more fully what it means to have, that, uh, have your identity found in Christ and to, 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 to really know it and really to live that out in your life. So we're going to take some time and then uh, the band's going to start playing and uh, you'll be invited to, to come up for communion. Uh, also, I'd, I'd like to ask some of the elders to just come, come forward and, and uh, maybe just kind of sit up here at the front. Uh, maybe if somebody wants to stand in the back too, that's fine. Um, and uh, if you just want to pray with, uh, with somebody um, this morning, we just want to be a church that prays. We want to be a church that understands how difficult it is to wrestle with this on a daily basis. And so we want to just offer uh, 
offer you an opportunity to, to come and pray and to acknowledge this and to live this out in your lives. So whatever you need to do, if, if you want to just sit quietly and pray, if you want to read the, uh, read the slides as they come up, if you need to, to go alone, uh, be, be alone in the back, uh, we want to welcome you to do that. Uh, but uh, there's people available to you. Uh, and if this is a new concept for you, by, by all means, find somebody that you trust um, and, uh, and just talk about it. Pray together, and then uh, once the band uh, starts singing, uh, we'll move forward in, in, in the remembrance of Christ and, and, uh, and the, uh, uh, the act of communion. But while you're taking communion this morning, think about the fact that the blood, body and blood of Christ that was broken for you and shed for you, not only as a payment for your sins, but in order that you might be elevated and exalted with Christ in the heavenly realms. How incredible. This is all to the glory of God. For his glory, but it's our benefit. Amen? So Father, I just pray that uh, you would anoint this time, that uh, you, would, you would challenge us each and every one to uh, know what it means to have our identity found in Christ, to know what it means that we were once dead in our transgressions and sins, but now we have been made alive in Christ. And not only are we alive, but we are elevated and exalted with Christ. We have authority over the spiritual realm. We have the ability to overcome the power of sin and death and the forces of evil in this world and in ourselves because we have been made alive with Christ. We have been filled with your Holy Spirit and we have been given the same power that raised him from the dead. We are now living creatures.